The title of my message tonight is Act Your Age. Say that with me. Act Your Age. Has anyone ever been told these kind of statements before? Act your age. You need to be more mature. Stop being such a baby. That's a big one. I got that one a lot because I was the youngest. So I had three older sisters who all tried to be my mom. And I got told to stop crying, stop acting like a baby, stop screaming, stop. I was a wimp, okay? I'm sorry. I was a wimp, but I'm not anymore. I'm tough now, or I like to think so. But ask my wife. She'll tell you the, the truth about me. Um, but many of us have probably been told that a time or two as we have grown up and as we have continued to develop as human beings. And I would say that this is one way that you can really look at the book of James, or this is a theme that you can pull from it. In a way, he's calling the church to start acting their spiritual age, to start being uh, more mature. Maturity in the Bible really boils down to the concept of growth or of growing. A growing Christian is a maturing Christian. It is a Christian that is being perfected for eternity. And this book clearly carries this theme throughout it because maturity will endure trials. Maturity will keep your mouth in check. Maturity will develop spiritual worship. Maturity doesn't play favorites. Maturity, uh, mature Christians are trustworthy Christians. And mature Christians are mature in their actions. And they are maturing to the point of becoming teachers. And that's kind of where we're going to finish up today as James is talking about us being teachers. And I want to give a quick example. I have many cousins in my family, on, on my, especially on my mom's side of the family. And um, when we were a lot younger, we used to run around and uh, play cowboys and Indians. And um, in the process of, of doing that, it was the best when we played it at their house because they always had these big, long tree limbs and, there, and my uncle would take these tree limbs and he would attach them and tie them together at the center. And then they had this massive canvas that they would wrap around it like a teepee. And it was literally like, it was huge. Like you could sleep in the thing. Like all of us could fit in there and comfortably sleep in there. It was a massive teepee. And so we would run, run around with, don't try this at home, okay, disclaimer. We would run around with airsoft guns, shoot each other. Um, and uh, all the girls were like, Weird. <laughs> um, you, you know, if you have a brother in here, you've shot him a time or two with an airsoft gun. Don't lie. Don't lie. It's okay. It's okay. But we used to run around, and we would play this and, and have a lot of fun. And I remember the day when my cousin walked out of the house, my, the oldest of the two, and he walked out of the house and he said, Guys, I'm not playing that anymore. I just turned 15, and it's time for me to be more mature. And I was like, dude, what's this maturity thing? This is kind of lame. Like, my, my, my older cousin is too mature to, like, play this anymore. And it kind of took the fun out of it. And in a way, I think that we are all sort of at that point tonight. Some of you have just entered into Surge. Some of you are going to be stepping into a new grade, into a new season. Some of you are going off to college and entering adulthood. 
there's kind of a transitional time that is occurring, and we are all entering a stage where we are going to have to answer the call to be a little more mature. We expect a little bit of maturity in youth as you come up from kids live. We expect you to go to the bathroom before service and not during service or as soon as worship starts. We expect you not to sit in there the entire time while worship is occurring. We expect you to be active listeners, to take notes, to be respectful. We expect you to take altar calls seriously and to have a deep, meaningful conversation with God following a convicting message. There are just a few practical things that as you grow up and as you've entered into this season of life, there's just general expectations. And as you grow as a Christian, God sort of sets a little more expectation on your life because he's calling you to be more mature. Paul writes to Timothy about this a little bit. In 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 24, he says, Flee also youthful lusts. I want to emphasize he's not necessarily talking about sexual lust. He's talking about lusts in general because it's, it's whatever has your desire, whatever draws you in a direction. You're, you, could, you can literally, I could say this, you can literally lust after your phone. If you're always thinking about it, it's always on your mind. You always got to go grab it and do something with it. That's, that's, a, that's a strong, desirous pull on your life. And so he's saying, flee those youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Everybody say immature. Knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle. Or you must not argue, but be gentle to all and able to teach, and patient. It's a call to spiritual maturity that Paul is giving to James. He's saying, flee the things of your youth, pursue righteousness in faith, love, and in peace. The things from your past, Timothy, they should not be tripping you up the way they used to trip you up. Or they should not even be tripping you up anymore. You should be in a whole new area, a whole new time frame of life, and you should be advancing to this place of teacher. Don't get hung up on every little argument. As a servant of God, you must not get hung up on the argument. You must get hung up on sharing Jesus with the people, teaching the people. That's the call we all must answer. And I want to remind you again of how James opens this chapter with a warning to teachers about the judgment that they will face. And I want to remind you that this is not just a narrow um, application, but this is also broad. It's narrow in meaning, but it's broad in the application. Yeah, not all of us are going to be teachers of a church or pastors of a church, right? Not everyone's going to have that call or fulfill that role. However, if you're a real disciple, then you're going to make more disciples, right? And how do you make more disciples unless you teach? So we are called to teach, and in a way, we are all going to receive a stricter judgment for the people that God has called us to reach and to teach in our lives. So I think that this maturity issue, maturing to this point of teaching, I think that this can be a bit of a significant problem. Not just in youth, but I believe that this can be a big problem for adults as well. So let's look at James chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
Now that's meaning the wisdom of God. It says to have the wisdom of God and understanding that these are true characteristics of a teacher. So he's literally asking the question here, who really is wise and understanding to the point of that they could be considered mature enough to be a teacher? Who is that person? Let them show by their good conducts who they really are. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. If it's basically saying if you don't have wisdom and understanding, then stop pretending to be something you are not. And that's where we ended last week, right? James is saying, can you just be real with yourself? Can you just be honest with, you, with yourself and where you're at? Because you're just faking it. That's what he's saying to this church. Stop pretending to be something you're not. Work on the real issue, the real heart of the matter. Why does he say this? He says in verse 15, because this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly. It's sensual, and it's demonic. This wisdom does not come from God, but it's a byproduct of man's wisdom. It's about man being right in his own eyes. It comes out of man's own pride, man's own selfishness, his own selfish and jealous desires. And, and it's, it's very prideful, it's very wicked, it's very evil. And it says in verse 16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow. Think about that. Where jealousy and selfishness, that's what that means, okay? Where jealousy and selfishness exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Think about that. And think about the last time that you maybe got a little bit selfish. I guarantee you it happened today because it happened to me today. When we're selfish, when we're jealous, we're envious, we open up the door to all kinds of evil and confusion. And with that, I'm reminded of one other crucial point, and that is that James is writing to all of the churches. So this call for maturity is addressed to Jesus' name baptized, Holy Spirit-filled people who have endured the early church's persecution. Think about that. These aren't just your average Christians. These are people who watched friends and family likely get burned at the stake for Jesus, get hung on a cross for Jesus, get beheaded for Jesus. That's who he's talking to. It's these churches that have been dispersed, and yes, they're bringing on new people, I'm sure, but he's calling them to maturity. And why, well, why do you say this? Why do you bring this up? Because if we think that as a youth group or as a church that we can just ignore that, that's a problem. Because we haven't had to endure even close to the kind of things that they had to go through. And they were struggling with Christian maturity. How much more do we struggle with it today? You didn't have this church you didn't have a wonderful place like this that was so functional. We've literally squeezed every ounce of functionality out of this building. You know where they met? In a house. You know what that house consisted of? A roof, probably four walls, and a dirt floor. That was their church. That was their church. 
We cannot take this stuff lightly. And if you're the person that's going to sit back and fold your hands and say, well, this isn't my problem because I don't swear. I know that I'm not that evil. I'm not demonic. I'm not possessed. I don't physically hurt anyone. I've never punched anybody. Well, that's the problem. The moment you think that you've made it is the moment that you will stop maturing. The moment you think that this kind of stuff is not for you is the moment that you have stopped maturing. You have stopped growing. And the Apostle Paul has some thoughts on this kind of thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, that's a familiar term, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Are you not carnal and behaving like man's wisdom with all kinds of evilness around you? Paul is fighting a similar battle that James is fighting here, just with a different church. It's the people who are in the church, but they're still wrapped up in a carnal lifestyle, even though they've been a part of the body for quite some time. He says that he taught them and that he still had to teach them again. He still had to come back and teach them again. And think about this example that he's giving us, okay? Think about this, especially in today's terms, because it's hilarious in my mind. And it communicates it very powerfully. Imagine for a moment that we fit this depiction. That you walked in here with your little baby bottle and your binky and your blankie and you're strapping a fresh pair of huggies and you come down to church. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is what you guys are. He's saying this to this church. You guys, you guys haven't matured at all. You want your bottle? Huh? You want your bottle? You want your milk? Here, I'll go warm it up for you. Oh, somebody needs a diaper change. Yuck. I ain't never changing anybody's diaper down here. That's disgusting. But that's the point. Because where there is carnality, there is a lack of spiritual maturity. And what happens when you give an infant solid food? What happens when you try to feed them where they should be, but they haven't grown to? They're going to choke it up. Hopefully, hopefully they choke it up. You might kill an infant with that. You might not be able to get it out. And so as teachers, I need to be wise with what I'm feeding you because I can't, I can't feed you something that is like, I don't know, out of this world complicated because that could be a wrongdoing on me trying to force feed you some food that you're not ready to receive. So I need to be wise and listen to where God is directing me. But also, there's a responsibility on the other end that you should already be here by now. There's a responsibility on the teacher. There's a responsibility on the person that is receiving it. We need to be careful on both sides. We need to be careful that, that we're feeding each other properly, but also that we are at a place where we can be fed what we really need and where we really should be at. You know how many fights that children go through throughout a day? Come on, everybody should be saying yes, because yes. most of you have brothers and sisters in here. A lot, a lot. My daughters lately, man, 
just in the van, sitting, waiting. Mom didn't hear this one yet. They were bickering over, I don't even remember what it was, but all I heard was Margaret just, stop! And I was like, ah. And I turned, and, and then Nora gets, mm. And I just went, okay, Nora, you don't need to keep bothering Margaret, because you could feel it. Nora's just, you know, typical second child pushing the buttons, right? She's got the controls, baby. She's just puppeteering that thing. And Margaret is just falling for it. And I just said, Margaret, you don't need to yell. Nora, if you know it's going to make her mad, don't keep saying it. Don't keep saying it. But that's the point. They're talking to a church and saying, you guys are arguing. You're, you're, you're jealous over each other. You're, you're arguing with each other all the time. We've got to put out all of these fires because you can't get along. Why? Because there's a lack of spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5, 11 through 13 it says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. I'm just saying, Paul wrote Hebrews. Just saying, same terminology is being used here. You can argue with me later. For every... Everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of what? Righteousness. righteousness. Let's say that together. The word of righteousness, for he is just a babe. He's saying you have been fed so well and discipled with such intentionality that you should be mature enough to teach by now. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying you should be able to fulfill my role. Paul, a teacher. You should be able to teach like me. Well, I mean, Paul was great, but like you should still be able to come up after Paul and teach people. You should already meet the qualifications of a teacher, but no, he has to bring them back to the basics again. Young people, please hear my heart. Please hear my heart. There is no excuse for a lack of spiritual maturity when you are being discipled by a healthy church. You guys have got it way better than a lot of churches. Trust me. Trust me. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the fault of kids' lives. It's not the youth group's fault. It's not the youth worker's fault. And you know what? When you stand before God, it's not going to be your parents' fault either. You're entering a stage where you're supposed to start walking and standing on your own two feet. And you're supposed to be more skilled in the word of God than you were the first day that you entered here. We should be growing and maturing. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. I'm just trying to be honest and share with you what exactly what God laid on my heart. Exactly what he burdened me with tonight. I don't want to manipulate anyone. I don't want to guilt trip you. I'm just saying we need to be consistently spiritually maturing in Christ. And I would argue that this youth group should be healthy enough that majority of us should be able to teach right now. We should be able to teach right now. You may not have the call to teach from behind a pulpit, but every Christian has the call to teach in some way, shape, or form. And if you're the skeptic that's sitting back and you, and, and you, you, you have this idea that you really think that somebody has completely let you down and that it's, it's really on the church and it's the church's fault, 
And maybe you have an argument there. Maybe somebody did let you down. I want to read this passage to you. I didn't give them this verse. I don't expect them. I'm going to ask that they don't even look it up. I'm just going to read this. It's out of the NLT because it was a complicated text to read, even in the NKJV. Okay? So just carefully listen to these words. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 12. Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world, who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things... By His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. And no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. Who here has been filled with the Holy Ghost? Raise your hand. You are an apostolic. You have God's Spirit dwelling inside of you. And this means that everything that you need to grow in godly wisdom and Christian maturity, you already have. If this whole thing got wiped out, you have everything you need. You have God's Spirit. There are absolutely no excuses for a spirit-filled Christian to not actively grow and mature with each passing day. You will have no excuse. None. does not matter how poorly someone has treated you. It does not matter what you've been through. It does not matter. You can play whatever victim that you want to play. But there is literally no excuse when God's Spirit is dwelling inside of you because He shows you the mind of God. God is revealing more of his mind and his heart to you. He does it through his word. He does it through his spirit. And think about it. That's all that the church had. Think about it. They're running for their lives through persecution. They don't have a place to assemble. Except for just a group if they can stop on the side of the road somewhere or until they settled into another building. What did they have? They had the spirit of God leading and guiding their every step and growing them with each passing day, even while they were running for our lives. And we don't even have to run for our lives. So I ask you, what excuse do we really have? What excuse do we really have? When we choose not to take Sundays and Wednesdays seriously, we are actively stunting our spiritual growth. We are keeping ourselves from maturing. What does the scripture say? Do not quench the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. And what? Abstain from every form of evil. That sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? Where envy and selfishness exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. 
How do we keep ourselves from evil? By allowing the Spirit to have complete control in our lives. By not hindering what the Spirit is trying to do through us. I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to kind of fill in the blank with just a few things that popped into my head. But you can take this and you can apply it to almost anything in your lives. Ready? It's every time you fill in the blank and you're quenching the Spirit. So, ready? Every time you focus on your phone more than the preaching, you are actively quenching the Spirit. Every time you begin to fall asleep, guess what? You're quenching the Spirit. Every time you distract the person next to you, you are quenching the Spirit for yourself and you're quenching the Spirit for somebody else. You're going to be judged for that. Every day you go without opening your Bible, you are quenching the Spirit. Every prayerless day of your life, you're actively quenching the Spirit. Every altar call, you only sing the words of the song and you don't actually pray and have a conversation with God. You are quenching the Spirit. Every worship set that you don't glorify God with your talents, you are quenching the Spirit. Every time you worship a certain way only because everyone else is and it's not actually coming from your heart and you're not actually thinking about it and glorifying God in His holiness, you are quenching the Spirit. God is looking for a young person who is willing to be meek and humble before Him, to have a yes and an amen in their heart for every word that He commands by His Spirit, who's not going to quench exactly what He is trying to accomplish in your life and in the lives of those that you have been called to reach. So who in here is willing to be actively transformed by His Spirit, no matter the cost, no matter how embarrassing it might be, no matter how ashamed you might feel? Who here is willing to be transformed? Why do we do this? Because if we actively listen and if we actively participate and learn together and, and, and worship together and we do it truly out of a heart and we're not trying to quench anything, we're just letting God have His way, we will gain a greater understanding and therefore you will have greater maturity. 1 Corinthians 14 and 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. I'm going to skip the middle part. But in understanding, be mature. A maturing Christian is a Christian who listens and gains greater understanding of the things of God. It's a Christian who hears the voice of their shepherd and they follow and they obey him. And as a result, you will receive and walk in what verses 17 and 18 talk about from James tonight. Verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And there ends chapter 3. That's how he wraps it up. This whole topic about teaching. The wisdom from above is nothing like the wisdom from this earth. It's wisdom that matures and grows you to be formed in his likeness and out of the likeness of men. Remember what we talked about in, in, in Jewish culture? Wisdom is not separated from God. They don't think there's any other wisdom out there. Wisdom is always attached to God. It's always godly wisdom. But in this world, 
Satan likes to take what God has made for good and form it for evil. And he likes to take what's supposed to be the wisdom, true wisdom, is only connected to God. And now he says, oh, no, we have wisdom. We have man's wisdom. We have earthly wisdom. You can be smart. You can be successful. You don't need God. You're fine. And while you may grow and mature just simply as a human being on that side, your spiritual maturity is just down the toilet because you don't have godly wisdom. It's wisdom that matures us. You will walk differently, talk differently, act differently. You will just simply be, exist different. And you will be a teacher that sows righteousness and peace. Righteousness, peace. Peace, righteousness. Faith, works. Works, faith. They're literally the same thing. You cannot separate the two. There are two sides of the same coin. If you are truly righteous in the sight of God, think about it, then what are you going to have with God? You're going to have peace with Him. And if you're sowing righteousness and you're not causing a bunch of arguments and problems and you're not jealous of somebody and acting all immature, what are you going to sow? You're going to sow peace among your brethren and your sistren. Righteousness, peace. When you have peace, you sow righteousness. Righteousness, peace, peace, righteousness. But you don't have peace unless you first have righteousness. James 1.20 The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Wrath is a childish thing. When Walter wants more chicken nuggets, you will feel his wrath. You will feel his wrath. Righteousness produces peace, and peace has the potential to produce more righteousness. What does this mean? Remember, James again is talking to teachers. Think of the parable of the sower. He's talking about sowing righteousness. Think about the parable of the sower. What does the seed represent? Tell me. The word? Someone say the word. Who said it? Perfect. Max, you get a gold star. The sower is sowing the word. He's using the same terminology of sowing something. Hebrews 5.13 says, For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word is righteousness. James is telling us about the word of God. When you sow the word like the sower of the seed, you are sowing righteousness. And wherever it falls on good ground, God is going to produce that in somebody. Because his word is righteous. And that person's going to have peace with God. And then that person's going to sow more righteousness. Meanwhile, you're going to move on your merry little way. And you're going to sow more righteousness. Why? Because you're not a child. Because you matured. Because you're growing. You're growing in your faith. So he's concluding the chapter by talking about us as teachers. Why don't you stand with me? If you're a teacher, you're going to be a, te a true teacher. You're going to be a teacher of righteousness. But if you're jealous, selfish, you can't control your tongue or your actions, you're not going to sow righteousness. You know what you're going to sow? Confusion. And what is God not the author of? Confusion. Confusion. Because things aren't going to line up. If you're a hypocrite and you're, you're, you're trying to sow God's truth, people are going to see sooner or later by your actions, by your good conduct, that you are indeed a hypocrite. 
And they're going to be confused by that. And they're going to say, wait, who is this person? They're telling you all these good things about God, but there's nothing real going on here in their own life. And they're going to be confused by that. That's the wisdom of men. But if you have wisdom from above, then you will be pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. You will not show favoritism. You'll reach for whoever they are, no matter what they look like, who they are, what their background is, what your background is with that person. Maybe you've had some arguments with them or you don't see eye to eye. You will be a teacher of the word and you will sow righteousness and have peace with God. This, this all begins when we are willing to act our spiritual age, when we're willing to surrender to God and we realize that we have never made it until we are standing on streets of gold. That's not to ding a carrot, dangle a carrot in front of your face and lead you to heaven. It's not what I'm doing. But it is saying, be genuine, be real, be honest, be who God has called you to be. Give Him your best. Pay attention when you're in surge, when you're upstairs. Don't fall asleep. Get good sleep the night before. Give it your all. NAYC, be all in. Soak it all in. Take notes down, but don't take too many notes because sometimes we get too carried away with too many notes and we don't hear the rest of the sermon. Only jot down what God is specifically telling you. Don't write everything down. Whatever stands out, put it down. And take and receive whatever you need for your spiritual maturity and your journey. I want to end on one final verse, Philippians 3, 13 through 14. I love this passage. I love this passage by Paul. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived. That's what he's saying. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of your New Testament, never felt like he arrived. He felt like he still needed to mature. He still needed to grow. And he still needed to continue to reach for that upward call of Christ. To be formed into his image, formed into his likeness until the day that he came to take Paul home. And we should have the same goal in mind. Starting right now, tonight, carrying through NAYC and for the entirety of your lives. I want this message to stick in your head. Am I being a mature Christian? Am I really being what God has called me to be? Am I really listening or am I quenching the Spirit? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this night. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes these words might hurt a little bit. Sometimes your word stings a little bit. But God, we know that who you chasten, you love. And that if you didn't convict us by your word, if we didn't feel impacted in that sort of way, God, that's when we should be concerned. That's when we should be concerned. But we should feel loved by you when we feel your powerful conviction coursing through our bodies 
calling us to go deeper, calling us to reach further for that upward call of Christ, calling us to be formed more into your likeness, to be purified like silver seven times over until you can see your perfect, pure reflection in it, God. That's all we really want to be to you, Jesus. We want to be matured and perfected and completed to that kind of point where we can just simply reflect you. All selfishness behind us, all jealousy, all pride, everything everything that, that man's wisdom has to offer, God, put it in the background. Purify it. Burn it out of us tonight, God. And let there only be your reflection left for people to see. So we can take no credit, no glory, no honor, but that all of that glory and that honor would be unto you. I want to challenge you one more time tonight, young people. I want to challenge you one more time tonight. Because last week, we choked on some food. I want you to hear my heart. There is an element of disunity in this youth group. We're not a terrible youth group. That doesn't mean we're bad. Okay? That just means we got something we can work on. That just means we can mature a little bit. And last week, I gave the call to either ask or share with somebody something that you needed prayer for specifically. To confess your sins one to another. That doesn't mean that you, you, you can confess whatever you want. But my point is, we need to be able to lean into each other. And when I gave that call last week, I don't think I saw one person. I could be wrong. I could have missed something. There may have been a few of you. Maybe it was real quiet, real discreet. But the overall majority, everyone just kind of quietly snuck up to each other, put their arms around each other, and just prayed for each other. That's not what I asked. That's not what God wanted you to do. And in a way, we quenched the Spirit. God had an opportunity to move. And we, our pride, our selfishness, got in the way of it. And so I want to ask you tonight, don't pretend you don't have something to pray for. Everybody in here has something to pray for. I don't care how simple it is or how deep it is. You've got something you need prayer for. It could just be simply softening your heart for NAYC. Or it could be for your family. Or it could be for an addiction. It can be anything. So I want you guys to try this one more time, please. And if you're uncomfortable with it, it's okay. I'm going to ask that you try to overcome that discomfort, but you don't have to. I'm not going to guilt trip you. This isn't a manipulation. I want you to do this out of your hunger and heart to grow in Jesus Christ. So can we find somebody, ask them what they need prayer for, share our own prayer requests with them, and then pray for each other? Can we do that? Can we do that? Find someone? Go ahead. Don't be shy. You can find someone. This is a safe space. And this kind of exercise is going to help to break up some barriers and some walls. And it's going to help us to create a deeper bond of unity because we can bear up one another's burdens.
Jesus, I pray that you would give us all the courage to step out of our comfort zone. I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work, that, Lord, whatever barriers that cause us to be uncomfortable, God, I pray that you would destroy them tonight. I pray, God, that blow after blow, prayer after prayer, that we would knock down this wall that is causing us to be isolated, to be secluded, to be disunified. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to break down the barriers of our flesh and our pride. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Continue to pray for one another. And if you want to go find somebody else to pray for, you can find somebody else to pray for. Let's be the body. Thank you.